uh, this year. John chapter 3, I'm glad you're safe, and um, I appreciate Pastor Steve making the call this morning to do away with Sunday school thinking we had dodged a bullet, and lo and behold, we got shot at on the way, hence the wind blows where it will. We kind of read that already this morning, it's a neat application <laughs> to where we're headed in John chapter 3. All right. I'm just going to divide this portion of Scripture up. As a matter of fact, we're going to look at the first 15 verses of chapter 3. I had uh, Tony read the first 21 verses for a bit of a context. We'll get to verse 16 uh, next week. By the way, don't forget uh, Wednesday evening, uh, after the snows melted, uh, we are going to have a Thanksgiving Eve service. That's going to be a wonderful time together. Many folks bring their relatives um, that are in town to that service. It's a nice, uh, warm fellowship together, an opportunity for us to dedicate an hour of just giving thanks to the Lord together. So trust you'll be able to be here Wednesday evening from 7 to 8. Uh, everyone in the auditorium, disciples, children, youth, and uh, we'll enjoy that time together. So we're just going to divide this up simply um, into these three uh, sections this morning. First of all, we're going to just discuss the situation a bit. What's going on here in John chapter 3? Uh, the situation, and then we're going to analyze the discussion, the discussion between Nicodemus and our Savior. And then we're going to unpack uh, just something that the Lord Jesus wants Nicodemus to recognize. So situation discussion recognition this morning so what of the situation nicodemus it's a common greek name nicodemus is a common proper greek name in history now in the time of jesus a common popular jewish name who is nicodemus we learned a bit last week from colonel sproul about the sanhedrin and the pharisees the Sanhedrin, this is the highest ranking, most well-educated Jewish school of the time. If you look at John chapter 3 and verse 1, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, and he was a ruler of the Jews. The Pharisees were a sect of the Sanhedrin, or Sanhedrin, however you wish to pronounce it. We always say in various industries in our culture, whether it be lawyers, doctors, pastors, engineers, that everyone finished at some ranking in their class, right? Uh, some were at the head of the class, and some were at the back of the class academically, but everyone graduated. That was not the case with this group of people, right? Um, if you were part of the Sanhedrin, especially a, a ruler of the Pharisees, um, uh, you, uh, you were the head of your class. Only the head of the class uh, graduated, so to speak. Only the magna, mega, summa, extra cum laude people uh, made it to uh, this class. Only the professor, doctor, teacher types made it to this group. And this is Nicodemus. He'd risen among the ranks to the sect 
to actually become actually a spokesman as we read this morning for this group what does it say here this man came to jesus by night and said to him rabbi we know that you have come from god as a teacher so some actually believe that he may have brought a small party of the pharisees with him jesus later on that we'll see says that his party his disciples are also in knowledge of something so there are people that believe that jesus had his peeps and and nicodemus brought his and uh, it wasn't uncommon uh, for uh, pharisees uh, doctors of law to debate about law late into the night so there could have been two groups coming together one seeking the other to debate most people believe that that nicodemus is actually coming by himself uh, as a spokesman to the lord jesus and many believe that jesus was not alone but at least john was there with him because this is the only way that john could give such a personal clear account of this discussion and this situation here between nicodemus and jesus so john finds it important to mention uh, nicodemus at this particular junction and it's good to know that john doesn't lose sight of nicodemus through the whole gospel remember it's a gospel and john's the last gospel writer and to him the short story of nicodemus must be told because john's book is about signs that lead people to believe signs that jesus did so that people would believe and that in believing they might have life through the name of jesus christ so go over with me to john chapter 7 real quickly as you hold your finger in john 3 and let's look at verse 40 where do we see nicodemus for a second time we'll outline later that a number of jesus's signs are performed at various jewish festivals and feasts Nonetheless, when we get to chapter 7, the people of God, the chosen nation of Israel, are together to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. Jesus tells his disciples in this chapter, I'm not really going to go up at this time uh, for fear that I might be killed and it's not my hour yet of suffering. So the disciples go up without him but then jesus comes in secret he's just i don't know if he's disguised he's certainly unrecognized by the crowd and he's mixing and mulling with the crowd and then he ends up in the temple and he begins to teach and he makes some exclusive claims and and uh, what do they want to do sure enough they want to kill him um, so nonetheless when we get down to verse 40 there's more division over the people and especially over the exclusive claims that jesus brought at this feast of booze and it says here in verse 40 some of the people therefore when they had heard these words were saying this certainly is the prophet others were saying this is the christ so others were saying surely the christ is not going to come from galilee is he that's where the uneducated poor simpletons come from has not the scripture said that the christ comes from the descendants of david he's a kingly line and from bethlehem the village where david was so a d division occurred 
in the crowd because of him. Some of them wanted to, real, to, to, wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests of the Pharisees, and they said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers said, Never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. The Pharisees then answered him, You have not also been led astray, have you? No one of the rulers of the Pharisees has believed in him, has he? But this crowd, which does not know the law, is, cur is accursed. Verse 50, Nicodemus, he who came to him before, being one of them, said to them, Our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing, does it? That question, that interrogative, really explicates to us that the Spirit of God is beginning to do something in the heart of Nicodemus. If you remember later to Christ's final trial, it was the Jewish spiritual religious leaders that allowed an illegal process, an illegal jurisprudence, if you will, that ultimately led to Christ's crucifixion. Nicodemus wants to give Jesus an, an opportunity to, to defend who he is and why he's doing what he's doing. Verse 52, they answered him, you are not also from Galilee, are you? In other words, were you, were you a boyhood friend of this guy? You know, Nicodemus is a little bit older than Jesus by this time. Did you watch Jesus grow up? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee, and everyone went to his home. And if you'll journey over with me to the end of the book of John in chapter 19, many of you know where we're headed here uh, with this text. John chapter 19 and verse 31, the Lord Jesus has been buried. And Joseph of Arimathea is very interested in proper care for the body of Jesus. Verse 31 says, Then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation, so, the day, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other who was crucified with him but coming to Jesus when they saw that he was already dead they did not break his legs but one of the soldiers pierced his side with the spear and immediately blood and water came out and he who has seen has testified and his testimony is true and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you also may believe for these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture that not a bone of him shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission, so he came and took away his body. And here we find out that Nicodemus has stood in the shadow of the cross.
Nicodemus has followed the process of Jesus to the grave. Nicodemus at this point has gone from a questioner to a defender of the law for the safety of Jesus to a believer. He's a born-again man. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. We go back to John chapter 3. We know from history, New Testament church history, that Nicodemus went on to become an integral part of the New Testament local church after Christ's ascension. This history and the telling of Nicodemus' future is critical at this point for this reason. It really makes the work of the Spirit of God evident when we see it in chapter 3 that we've read and we're studying this morning. We should also know in chapter 3 and verse 17, John reports his purpose in writing again. So if you'll jump down with me here, we understand this situation that we're involved with. John reports, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. We know that. We know that. The story of Nicodemus, John places right after the end of chapter 2 that we studied together last week. At the end of chapter 2, at the cleansing of the temple, where the Lord Jesus demonstrates that he's the Son of God, because he has authority over that temple and he has authority over his own body as we learned last week and he has authority over the souls of men that even there we find some people believing verse 23 now when he he was in jerusalem at the passover during this feast many believed in his name observing his signs which he was doing but jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them for he knew all men and because He did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. So again, John, the disciple whom Jesus loves, mentions the main purpose of his writing was that men might believe, and he bookends the story of Nicodemus with the same, and he gives us the narrative of Nicodemus to allow us to see that the Spirit of God is always doing his work in drawing men unto the Savior. We just read in chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, that Jesus knows the hearts of men. While the goal of John's writing is for all to believe in Jesus, and some do, it stands true that John wanted his readers to know the equity of Jesus when it comes to belief and unbelief. He says later, all that the Father has given to me, Jesus says, will come to me, will in no wise cast them out. He was confident in the will of the Father and the word of the Spirit 
And he himself knew the various angles unbelief would take to remain in its unbelief. Our text this morning reveals that Jesus knew the heart of Nicodemus. We'll see that. And he also knew the hearts of those at Passover in chapter 2. If you go back to chapter 1, when Pastor Steve was preaching on Philip, who convinced Nathaniel to come and see who Jesus was, and Nathaniel comes, and Jesus, having never met him, says, I know who you are, you're a just man, and you're a devout man. And Nathaniel says, how do you know me? And what did Jesus say? Before Philip spoke to me, I saw you under the fig tree. Jesus knows the heart of man. He repeats that at the end of chapter 2. We will find out in our text this morning that he understands omnisciently the heart of Nicodemus and his unbelief at this particular juncture. If you go to chapter 4, which we will in a few weeks, you'll see that he understands the heart of the woman at the well. And she's amazed that Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Galilee, knows her so deeply. You'll see this theme again in the Gospel of John later when Jesus heals. He knows the state of our souls before we come to know him. Jesus knows your heart. He knows who his children are, and he knows who are not his children, and he knows why they're not. He knows every reason today for your unbelief if you have yet to surrender your heart to him. Many are okay that he knows. Because they want Jesus to know that they feel some things in life that he's allowed just aren't fair. And they want Jesus to know that the circumstances of their life they're not particularly enjoying at this particular time. And so some people, even though they know a lot about him and they're religious people, as Nicodemus was, they feel like they can stand before Jesus and justify some mere excuses they may give. The whole Gospel of John is simply about peeling back the layers of the why of the unbelief of many. So they feel exposed enough to take a fair look at Jesus and make a spirit-led wise decision about him. Whether you've been a teacher in your past, a parent, a coach, or whatever, all of us in our particular lanes in life have heard all the excuses as to why a kid a child or an athlete uh, did not responsibilities that they were given um, any teachers in the room any coaches in the room any parents in the room any one of you have ever heard any excuses as to why a student didn't finish their homework or a coach uh, player didn't show up in time or why they quit practice early um, any parents ever hear any excuses as to why chores weren't done around the house? You can tell that student, that athlete, or that child, 
listen, I've heard it all before. I get it. I could write the book as a parent, coach, or teacher. I made all those excuses, the same ones when I was your age, as a matter of fact. I'm very familiar with all those. And, uh, you know, um, all of your excuses just don't matter. What's Jesus' response when you bring your rationale of unbelief to him? He doesn't mind hearing excuses, but he doesn't need to hear the excuses for our unbelief. Trust me, I'm pretty sure he's familiar with all of them. He offers heavenly insights into your insecure soul and offers new life, fresh spiritual water that you've never taken a sip of before and, and new beginnings. Calvin said there is nothing in the world deserving of God's favor, but God still shows favor to the whole world in Christ. Sinclair Ferguson once said the pulse beat of God's heart has an evangelistic rhythm. Someday we'll all stand before him as the global judge of all men's souls and yours too. The judge of all the earth will do right in that moment. Before him he'll allow answers to questions, but there will be no excuse made as to why you chose not to believe in him. He knows them all. He knows really so. And he, all, he had all of this settled before the foundation of the world as we sang this morning. And so John gives us the story of Nicodemus, a master law keeper to remind us that even the most religious still can stand before Jesus condemned but with opportunity to believe. That's the situation. Let's examine a little bit of the discussion this morning. We reviewed a little bit of Nicodemus's credentials. He came to Jesus by night. We explained that just a bit. But I want to reference here, if you want to write in the margin of your Bible, John chapter 9 and verse 4, chapter 11 and verse 10, and John chapter 13 and verse 30. 9, 4, 11, 10, and 13, 30. Many of you have written, have read through the Gospel of John completely at one sitting, some of you a number of times, and you may have, you may have started to recognize this theme of night or darkness in the Gospel of John. It is a sub-theme. It's mentioned first here, Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Now this is, this is something of John's style of writing. Every time night or darkness is mentioned, even though it might be a time of day, John is trying to expose the condition of an individual's heart. And in each one of those four texts, it's very clear that the individual or group of people of those texts were people of unbelief. They were not, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, children of the day. They were children of the night in their souls. The, the darkness of their life was not their circumstance, 
It was the condition of their soul. The darkness that only a sin-cursed soul could know. So Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. And he comes with the authority of those that were doctors of law. He says, we know that you've come from God because you've done some things. You've done some things. But recognizing that Jesus has come from God is a far cry from realizing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So what Nicodemus may have offered as a compliment and a recognition of divine approval on the teachings of Jesus. So he's a law teacher. He's a law keeper. He's even willing to recognize that Rabbi Jesus is maybe even a prophet come from God. And he's not even even challenged by the signs that Jesus has done. All those signs have done is just affirmed in his heart and at least this sect of Pharisees that he's done these things on authority from heaven. Now, in most religious contexts, I guess we could say that we might call someone okay with heaven at that point. Look at all you know. Look at all that you give thumbs up to. You're seeing that he has dotted his I's and crossed his T's as far as intellectual assent as to who Jesus is, and Jesus says, no, it's not enough. Your mind has been teased, but your heart remains unchanged. We read the word here, plural, signs. Yet John has only written of one sign that we studied in chapter 2 so far, the changing of the water to wine at the wedding of Cana. He does this to remind us again of his logging of these signs and and their purpose in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. We stated the purpose for the writing of the book of John and an introduction to the same. But it's apparent here that though John's only reported of one sign, Nicodemus has been eyewitness to many, many of the signs, and so has this group of men who sends him to the Lord Jesus Christ. The use of the plural pronoun we and we we know that you have come from God is also a religious tactic here it's not just my mind that's been stimulated it's not just my mind that's been convicted and convinced that you have been sent and you are from God I've got a party of people that believe the same we've even sat late into the night and debated about it and we're all convinced that you're a prophet come from God, and yet Jesus is going to say, okay. Even a party approach, a clear, concise, compelling party approach to understanding who I am has left you short. Has left you short in understanding who I am and why I've come.
Jesus profoundly responds to their hearts collectively by speaking to one. Jesus not only speaks to him personally, but later on in verse 11, if you'll flick back over there for a second, uh, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. Notice the plural, multiple use of plural pronouns there. That's not Jesus speaking of the Godhead. That's Jesus speaking of his own followers, the disciples he had to this point. So while Nicodemus comes with a party approach of those who give an intellectual assent to who he is, Jesus responds and says, okay, I've got my group of men as well, my group of followers, and let me tell you that their lives demonstrate that they went beyond just mere intellectual assent as to who Jesus was, and they are truly following me. And in the middle, we're going to explain, or Jesus is going to explain in this discussion a few things in relationship to his disciples, and then some recognitions that he wants Nicodemus to know. But he includes the testimonies of his own disciples whose lives have been changed by genuine saving faith, saving grace. And that there are some who follow Jesus, who have known transformation from on high, from the Spirit of God, and here they are. Like Nicodemus, you're going to have to explain to these men who follow me why your defense of mere intellectual ascent is enough for you when it wasn't enough for them. Jesus stands right in between both groups. It's a good reminder to us that you this morning who are here that know the Lord Jesus, you've been transformed by saving grace. The best explanation for the way you live, the best explanation we have, each one of us, for why we have surrendered hearts to the Lordship of Jesus Christ is because we've been born again from on high. What we knew was simply not enough. How many people here knew about Jesus when you were little and later? realized that you knew a lot about him but you never knew him personally how many baptisms have we had here on sunday mornings and the testimony from the lips of older teenagers or from from adults who knew well all the content about god and the son and the spirit and had no problem giving intellectual assent that led to even more learning more understanding, more attending, and yet you came to understand that you didn't really understand why Jesus came was for your own sin and that you needed a Savior, not merely a teacher come from God. So back to Jesus' response. He says, truly, truly, verse 3. says this twice in this context. 
This is a well-known use of language that Nicodemus would have been familiar with. Not necessarily hold on. I've got to take some time here as a rabbi to throw some egg in your face to another teacher of the law. But hey, Nicodemus, your statement recognizing that there's something of God involved with my miracles or teaching is just not sufficient when it comes to the real reason I've come to know you and you've come to know me. In other words, Nicodemus, I know your heart. Remember that sub-theme we looked at? Chapter 2, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, and later in chapter 6. I know you're hard, and you know that's not why you're here even seeking me out at night. You know there's something more, and your unbelief is not letting you fully embrace who I am and why I'm here. Nicodemus didn't need another religious award affixed to his sash by properly identifying Jesus as a teacher come from God. He heard from Jesus, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus responds in verse 4. We read that earlier. And I suppose that's an understandable response, but Jesus was not satisfied with that response because Nicodemus was a doctor of law, Mosaic law. He was the head of his class, remember? Nicodemus knew that that excuse wouldn't cut it with someone who was divine. Am I supposed to get small again and enter my mother's womb so that I can be born? That was like a doctor of law making a sixth grade excuse as to why his homework wasn't done. He knew it was an excuse. How do we know that? Well, there were certain things that doctors at law would have known. Look at verse 5. Jesus said again, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. These, every word here would have been familiar to Nicodemus from what he understood about Old Testament scriptures. That's why he says later in verse 9, How can these things be? And Jesus said, Are you a teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? So twice he challenges Nicodemus' excuse-making. But understand, Jesus knows his heart. While he challenges his excuse-making, he still knows what the Spirit of God's doing in Nicodemus' heart. Just like he knew what the Spirit of God was doing at the woman at the well. Right? The harlot at the well. And so he was challenging him with interrogatives and questions because he knew he was being challenged with the Spirit of God. And he was growing closer to that moment of, of belief and being born again from on high. And, and we all know that that's what word born again means. It doesn't mean to be physically born again. It means to be born again. And the Greek word there is from above. This is a spiritual new birth. Not a physical one. So here we are deeper into the discussion Christ is challenging Nicodemus with what he already knew so we go from this discussion to some things that Jesus wanted to 
have Nicodemus and his mercy recognize again. So we conclude this morning with a very clear recognition that Jesus leads Nicodemus to understand as the Spirit of God draws him closer. Let's go over to Ezekiel chapter 36. There's a number of texts in the Old Testament that we could use to prove that Nicodemus would have understood the language of Jesus in this text about being born again of water and of the Spirit and so forth. Um, But if we look at the book of Ezekiel, uh, we will find it here, right after the book of Lamentations in the Old Testament. Let's go to uh, Ezekiel in chapter 36. Ezekiel prophesies of a time where Israel would be renewed. He says here in verse 22, for a little context here, therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. For I will take you from the nations, gather you from the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. As we stated a couple weeks ago, folks, the, the Jewish people had water pots laying around for the cleansing of just about everything in their life. (laughs) So they knew that this use of water here was was a metaphor of cleansing, but the Lord Jesus in John 3 speaks of a spiritual cleansing from the dirt and the condemnation that sin brings alive. Ezekiel prophesies using the Lord's word that there will come a time and they would they should know that there's a spiritual cleansing from on high and they will be made clean. Verse 25 goes on to say, I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. This, this, this change that came from a divine person, from a divine place, would give birth to a lifestyle that's radically changed. It's a lifestyle that a PhD, a doctor of Mosaic law, could not create for himself. This would be a lifestyle of truly being declared a law keeper because you entrusted your life to Jesus who perfectly kept the law and died for your lawlessness.
So I don't really think we need to observe as you go back to John chapter 3, many other passages other than this one, to explain what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus. To be born again for Jesus was to be born from on high, to be transformed by the Spirit of God, not to be made small again and reenter our mother's womb. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you know this passage, my friend. You've given quizzes and tests and probably even written a white paper on ezekiel 36 you know these words jesus is saying oh my friend nicodemus you don't need more information you need regeneration nicodemus you don't need more recognition you need transformation teacher of the law also would have been familiar with david's words in psalm 51 where he asked the lord to create in him a clean heart and and renew a right spirit within him jesus is saying to nicodemus and to all of us this morning as we conclude your chance to participate in my kingdom which is in the future is all dependent upon your having a new start now in christ a cleansed and changed life granted to you by grace from heaven alone. Nicodemus knew kingdom language. He knew resurrection language from the Old Testament. But without true belief in Jesus, they had to take what they knew and make it fit their narrative and interpretation of the Moses and the prophets. Jesus is saying the only way to see my kingdom and even be able to truly teach What is to be born again is that you need yourself spiritual renewal from heaven. You need to be born again. So don't be surprised, Nicodemus. Verse 8, what does Jesus say? The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. You know, when I when I read that text again for the umpteenth time in my life, I, I thought of the hymn text, I Know Whom I Believe. Remember that? Written by Daniel Whittle in 1883. I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he hath made known, nor why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me for his own. I know not how this saving faith to me he did in part nor how believing in his word wrought peace within my heart. I know not how the spirit moves, convincing me of sin, revealing Jesus through the word, creating faith in him. But I know whom I believe, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. We kind of all experience coming in this morning that the winds of lake affect snow have their own will don't they (laughs) it's a great illustration for us having come to this text this morning have any of you since being saved asked yourself the question why me lord why now like you seem to change me out of nothing and from nowhere at the same time that's it my friend salvation is of the lord completely It is the Spirit of God, the very wind of God is persuading your heart to understand and believe in Jesus today. Then do it. Believe like now. 
You may have been here the last month attending services, knowing a lot about Christ, but not having him changed your heart and not being born again from on high. Why didn't I trust Christ on week one, week two, week three? Why week four? That's just what the Spirit of God does. But if he's working on your heart today to believe, then do so today. That's his will. There really is no excuse to be made or time to wonder when and if the Spirit will come and breathe his influence upon you again. No one knows where the Spirit moves or how or even why. And then there's the testimony of those who have believed that Jesus mentions here. In verse 11, there's people around you, if you have not entrusted your life to Christ yet, who have. And their faith is a defensible faith because it is given birth in a changed way of living. We always say here, you have no gospel unless you have a changed life. And then Jesus in his mercy before Nicodemus says in verse 12, if I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? You've seen my signs, Nicodemus. You just said so a few moments ago. I did them so that you would believe. And if those don't convince you, nothing I tell you of heaven is going to convince you either. That's what he's saying here. And then he goes on to reference Daniel 7 and Numbers 21. He's going to challenge his intellect as well. What does he go on to say again as well? He says here, in verse number 13, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who has descended from heaven, the son of man. And automatically Nicodemus is thinking Daniel 7. Oh yeah. Or oh yeah. (laughs) And then he references number 21. You remember that story? The Israelites are complaining. They're angry. And Jesus, God, sends serpents and they get bit. Yes, God can do that. God is free to do whatever God intends to do. He's good and he's just. And yet he still is equally merciful, right? Right? And on a large pole, Moses lifts up and there's a serpent at the top of the pole. And what's the story? God says to him, just tell the people to look at the snake at the top of the big stick and they'll live they'll live no 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 you have to understand this is the most poisonous snake that's ever existed i've got 30 seconds i can remember we were out in arizona for our first ever missions trip as i took as a youth pastor i had no idea what i was getting myself into we got there to the regeneration regeneration reservation in arizona and they sat us down for an hour-long orientation i was like okay this is cool The whole orientation, the whole hour long was just to teach us, not about how we were going to reach lost souls, lost native souls for Christ, but how to stay alive and be presented well back to our parents when we got back home. We were taught about rattlesnakes, but be careful of this Mojave green. And by the way, we're going to take a hike out in this little part of the desert. We're going to walk over this bridge. And when you step on this bridge, the bridge is probably going to rattle. But don't be nervous. It's just the rattlesnakes. They'll stay underneath the bridge, right? right? 
And when you walk down the road, we're getting told this, right? My first ever missions trip. I'm as green as the Mojave Green. That'll stay. You're going to walk down the path. There's going to be brush on either side. Please, whatever you do, just, just walk down the middle of the path. Don't walk near the brush, right? Okay, that's fine. Don't pick up tires, right? Let us teach you how to do that. You're going to pick up a tire and you're going to grab a black widow and the nearest hospital is about an hour and a half away. You know? We're going to take a, we're going to take a hike in between the cleft of these two mountains and we're going to stay overnight in the mountainous desert wilderness. And don't be alarmed. We're going to take a big four-inch rope all right? And it's about 800 to 1,000 feet long. And we're going to put that rope around you as you sleep on your sleeping bags out underneath the beautiful stars. And, and just trust us. We know that the rattlesnakes will try to come in, but they don't climb over that rope. They hit it and they slide away. I'd enjoy, I enjoyed those stars all night long. I, <laughs> right? Never in my life have I been... I remember when we got safely inside that rope. Pastor Mike, you were on that trip. And you're still here. And faithfully following my poor leadership. <laughs> I remember we got up to the camp and they put the circle of rope around us and they and they and they and they 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 held up this like six and a half, seven foot long snake skin. And they said, Look how good God is. Just when you got through this passageway, all right? A Mojave Green was coming across and we slaughtered it. We just wanted to show you how faithful God is. Here's its skin. And you're alive and you're well. It was not encouraging. There's a serpent on a pole. God gives one instruction. One instruction with one word. Look. No. No, I know this. I've got this. You don't understand my life circumstance here. There's just no way God can be fair. And if he is, there's no way I'll ever understand his equity. I'm good. No, no, no. And Jesus says, look. Look. Lift up your eyes and look at the stick. And look what's at the top of the stick. And what does Jesus say here? As verse 14 says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, prophesying of his resurrection, or of his crucifixion, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. You've been snake bit in the Old Testament wilderness, look and you'll live. We've been sin bit. All of us have come short of the glory of God. In our sin, and Jesus says to Nicodemus, a doctor of law, I will be lifted up. You look to me. I am who God says I am. I am who I say I am. Look and live. Look and live. It's that simple. And if the Spirit of God's persuading your heart to do that right now, I don't know where he'll blow at 3 o'clock this afternoon. If he's influencing you now, look and live now. Let's pray together.
Father in heaven, we love you. Lord, you know the souls of every person here as you knew Nathaniel's soul, as you knew the hearts of Jerusalem packed full of hundreds of thousands of Passover worshipers, as you know Nicodemus's heart, as you will tell us you knew the heart of the woman at the well. bowed this morning is the spirit of God listing in your heart is he breathing his influence persuading you to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is has he convicted your heart as you've had discussion with him even during the sermon to believe if you've known a lot about him and you're even currently studying him and you realize that intellectual knowledge is not transformation, it's not regeneration, but you need to be born from on high, you need to be changed, would you look this morning? Even right now. Look. Look. And live. Look and live. We sing that hymn here all the time. Look and live. My brother, live. My sister, live. This morning, while our heads are bowed, if you look to Jesus this morning during the course of the sermon, or you would like to now, would you slip your hand and we'll pray for you? Anyone at all? You're being persuaded of God to look? We'll pray for you. Anyone? You don't have to raise your hand to look. That was just so we would know to pray. With your head bowed, you can look in faith and know his peace. Religion can't do that. Priests can't offer that. Pastors can't offer that. Churches cannot offer that. You have had a conversation with Jesus this morning and he's telling you you must be born again from on high you must turn from your sin your self-sufficiency and entrust your heart to him as Lord and Savior we'd love to discuss that with you going forward in the weeks ahead as we study the gospel of John together continue to pray for you. We're so glad you're here this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you again for just your tender patience as demonstrated through our Savior Jesus. Immense patience with the doctor of law that certainly did know better. But you were merciful to listen, to ask, to hear and to save. Thank you for doing that for us because we all have a little Nicodemus in us in our past. We're thankful. 
thank you for being merciful to us. In Jesus' name, amen.